Amen. So we are on week two of the series that we are calling Heads or Tails. And I'm very excited about this series because, again, I believe it will help us to overcome one of the common myths about the faith, one of the common myths about Christianity. And so let's read that scripture, Deuteronomy 28.13. Deuteronomy 28.13 and the NIV says this, The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. I believe that a lot of Christians feel as though if they truly give their lives to Christ, if they completely follow God, that that would make them the tail. It would put them at the bottom. But the promise here is that we would be the head, that we would be on top. And we introduced that last week and, and dealt with uh, quite a few things along those lines, trying to understand that God does want us at the top. Now, I believe the key concept that we talked about uh, last week was turning the other cheek. You know, if you get slapped on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to give the, give the other cheek as well. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount we'll talk about today. Uh, does that make you the head or the tail? Doesn't that seem like it makes you the tail? Doesn't it seem like being a Christian is portrayed as just be quiet and take abuse? Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Just, I mean, you learn that as a little kid in church. You sit still. Be quiet and then just put up with whatever. Be quiet and take abuse. Is that what it means to be a Christian? I don't think so. And last last week we talked about, I don't think it's so much about being quiet and putting up with abuse as much as it is about letting a three-year-old win at checkers. You know, I'm going to put up with somebody who's obviously in the wrong because I am secure in the Lord. I am strong in my faith. I understand my eternal reward and this person throwing a fit does not threaten me. Hopefully, I can reach this person and help them. So if they're going to slap me on one side, hey, have the other. I don't need to win. I'm going to heaven. I don't need to push you down. I'm a child of God. It's like letting a three-year-old win at checkers. Now, I think that's been overstated. I had a friend one time who was a, an employer and he had employees and he was just wrangling over this deal of forgiving people. And he was like, but I really need to fire this one employee. But isn't, am I not supposed to forgive them? Can I fire a bad employee and still be a Christian? What's the short answer to that? Yes, <laughs> fire the employee. That is not a problem with forgiveness. If the employee isn't doing their job, you fire them. Now, you don't hold a grudge for the rest of your life. You don't badmouth them around town. You forgive them, but they still get the consequences of their behavior. They still get fired. So fire them and forgive them. That's not inconsistent. Uh, so we can get confused in our faith and think which just about getting pushed around. But the fact of the matter is, God calls us to be the head, not the tail, to be on top, not on the bottom. All right. 
One of the important things about Deuteronomy 28.13 is it does not say you are the head. Very important. So many times people think, they, they read something in the Bible, they'll read Deuteronomy 13, you know, I'll make you the head, not the tail, and they just think, oh, I'm the head. Well, not necessarily. Are you observing and obeying the commandments of God? There's a big if in there. It's not just that you are the head. It's that you can be. So many Christians are just forgiven tales. They're still getting pushed around in life. They're still not in control of what's going on. They're just getting thrown here and there. They've cried out to God for forgiveness and they're forgiven, but they haven't gotten their lives under control and they're just still getting blown around. If, if an addiction says, hey, come follow me, they're like, great, and they go with it. If greed says, hey, come do this, like, oh, and they do it. If anger says, go do that, oh, they do it. They're just a tail getting pushed around all over the place. We are called to overcome. It's, it's no fun being a forgiven tail. You know, I've said this before, half Christianity is a very frustrating, difficult life. If you're all in with God, it's great. If you're a little bit in with God, and a little bit in with the devil, boy, you got a hard life. Man, is that hard. But that's where most people are. And then there's just completely away from God, and that's very unfortunate as well. And eternally, it's very, very unfortunate. Quite bad. So, do you believe you could be the head of your life? One of the other things we talked about last week was we're heads under Christ. Christ is the only head that makes you a head. Other heads make you the tail. But Christ, if He's your head, He makes you another head. A head over your life, authority over your life. You have the opportunity to overcome all the wiles of the enemy, all the problems of your sin nature. You can overcome those things and be in control of your life. Do you believe that that is what God has for you? I hope so. Otherwise, I'll have to keep preaching on the same point for the rest of the day. Because God wants you to be able to overcome, to be able to take the stand, to have the personal strength to not be pushed around by the things of this world, the things of sin, the darkness of this world by the enemy, by confusion, all those things. We are to follow God and be able to succeed. Now, um, if you don't obey God, are you still the head? Does it work out great for you? This is probably the biggest confusion in the United States is that, you know, the false idea of grace being grace means, again, this is the false idea of grace. I get all the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. I deserve all of the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. I should be the head without actually observing the will of God, the laws of God, and doing the laws of God. I should still be the head. And then when you get pushed into being the tail and the world just runs you over, you complain to God. What are, what are you doing this to me for? Look, God, that's not God's fault. It's very important that we understand that if we follow God, 
We can trust in God. But if we don't follow God, what leg do we have to stand on? Why would we think we're in such great shape with God if we won't follow Him? It just doesn't work that way. All right. Let's read Deuteronomy 28, uh, 43 through 45. Some of Deuteronomy 28 is the good news. And a whole lot of Deuteronomy 28 is the bad news. You know, there's the, if you follow, great, awesome stuff. If you don't, here you go. And that goes on and on and on. Just read that chapter. It's amazing. But let's read just a little bit of it. 28, 43 through 45. The alien who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He will be the head, but you will be the tail. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commandments and decrees He gave you. Does that sound real great? What if you just believe and disobey God? What would the promise be? That all this stuff is going to overtake you. doesn't matter what you think. It matters what you obey. What you think will determine what you obey. So if you don't obey God, you obviously don't think that what He has to say is all that important. Have you ever, like, not gotten up in the morning? You're supposed to get up, but you didn't. You know, if, if the consequences were high, you'd get up. But you just think it probably doesn't really matter. And that's how we get with God. I know I'm supposed to follow God, but I fail anyway, so, meh, I guess I'll just keep failing because whatever. He doesn't seem to mind. There's that whole blood on the cross thing, and, you know, I can just kind of keep sinning, and it shouldn't really be a big deal, right? Let's, uh, let's get New Testament. You want to get New Testament today? Yeah. Come on. We're excited to go into the New Testament. One of the, one of the neat things is looking at how Jesus fulfills the law of the Old Testament. Now, Moses proclaimed the law in Deuteronomy and, and previously there's all this stuff, follow the Ten Commandments, and then there's the thing of, if you follow these commandments, it's gonna work out good for you. If you don't, it's gonna be a bad thing. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he does, he gives the sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, what he introduces there is what we now call the New Covenant. And he takes the old law and he fulfills it. He brings it to the next level. He restores the faith of Abraham and he brings the law of Moses into the heart. Beyond just action, into the heart. Restores the faith of Abraham and brings the actions, the obedience of Moses into the heart. So, does Jesus think that we can hear about God, disobey God, and it'll work out just as well as if we hear about God and obey God? Here's the conclusion, part of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 21 through 27. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Ryan said he wanted some more fire and brimstone, so you're getting it. 
Here we go, Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Is Jesus saying, hearing the words and disobeying them is perfectly fine, and you will have the same results as if you hear the words and obey? No. In the New Testament, it's the difference between the house standing and the house crashing down. Is this important? Don't blame God for the house crashing down if you're not obeying His Word. That is, again, that's mind-boggling to me. I believe God is good. And I believe... Now, I also believe in the war. Do you know the perfect kingdom of God is not going to happen on this earth as we live it right now? Satan's doing his stuff. There's bad guys out there. The earth itself is cursed. There's tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanoes. There's serious problems here that we're not going to have to deal with in heaven. None of that will be the case. Nobody's going to uh, say something bad about you in heaven and hurt your feelings. It's not going to happen. There's no sin in heaven. Nobody's going to say an ugly thing, let alone steal from you or kill you or anything along those lines. None of that's going to happen. There's going to be no earthquake that kills people in heaven. It's going to be perfect. Here, we have a battle to fight. We go toe-to-toe with the enemy like Hannah's father did. And sometimes there's a big price to pay. But you know, the Lord makes sure that it works out in the end for the people who serve Him. I like this life. When we sing songs like, This world has nothing for me, you know, it, I don't know, I kind of like the stuff here. I like going hunting. I like going canoeing. I like my family. I like church. I like this. You know what I mean? Of course, I know what the song means. It's talking about the sin of the world and the darkness of the world. And yeah, okay, that's got nothing for me. Sure, I get that. But when we sing those songs, I just think, I like it here. I'm looking forward to heaven, sure. But I like it here. This is a nice place. But I tell you what, it's not nice when everybody around you is serving the devil. It's not nice when the nation is going against God. And it gets worse and worse. In the United States, we're still receiving the benefits of generations before that were devoted to God. We are just basking in what remains. But if we don't stay connected with God, the house will fall with a great crash. 
We must stay connected. So, it's the ones who do the will of God that are blessed. The ones who do not do the will of God are cursed or the house crashes. What is the will of God? What is it? What are we supposed to do? Have you ever like really, really wanted to serve God, but then you're like, I'm all excited, but I got nowhere to go. What am I supposed to do? Have you ever been there? You know, I think it's a lot less complicated than we make it out to be. You know, we start thinking all these grandiose thoughts of, you know, when I finally get everything going with God's will for my life, it's going to be this world-changing ministry of some kind. Well, you know what? It probably is going to look a lot similar to your life right now. You'll go to the same job. (laughs) You'll wear the same clothes. You'll get up at the same time. It'll just be that you're living your life for the Lord. But it'll be pretty close. You know, unless you're drastically away from God. There are people that need to completely change their lives to serve God. But a lot of people in the United States uh, and, and around the world, I mean, they're basically good people. They're not living heinously evil, immoral lives or they're going around pillaging villages and killing people and taking their stuff. You know, just... Going to work, coming home, stuff like that. It's okay. What does it mean then to follow God? What are we supposed to do? In Deuteronomy, it was talking about the Ten Commandments. Do the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? So we got four of them that have to do with God and six of them that have to do with people. So, should we quiz the pastor, see if I can do it without uh, looking? I didn't grow up on the Ten Commandments, so I've had to learn this in my adult years. But you got the, hey, there's one God, put no other gods before me. God does not want to be one of our loves. He wants to be our love, our God, the only one. No graven images. So don't make yourself a little God and carry it around and go, ooh, here's my little God. Don't do that. Had to make it simple. Um, Don't take my name in vain. Now, of course, did you know Christians do that a lot? When you say something like, well, you know, I think the Lord wants me to, and you're just making that, I mean, God did not tell you that. That is using the name of the Lord in vain. He does not like that. It's very bad. If you're going to say that, you are prophesying. In the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet, they killed you. The Bible says kill them. If they say something that God said this and it doesn't come to pass, it says you're supposed to kill them. God does not like that. He's very merciful now. That's good. I appreciate that. I'm all for that. However, his heart is the same. He despises that the same. It's not good to say, God told me to do this, when it was just your idea. That's taking the name of the Lord and using it for your own purposes, using it in vain. And then there's keep the Sabbath. Go to church. Don't go to work. Go to church instead. (laughs) Hang out with God's people and hang out with God. So those were the four that have to do with God. Then you got six more. You've got honor your father and mother. Very, very important. And then you got the, uh, the, all the don'ts. No murdering, no stealing, 
no uh, lying, no adultery, not necessarily in that order, and then no coveting. Don't want stuff other people have. Don't watch commercials. (laughs) So, can you imagine an entire nation thousands of years ago where all of them followed the Ten Commandments to a T, every man, woman, and child, where there was an entire society, an entire nation where they loved God, an entire nation that was very careful about speaking for God, that never put anything else in front of God, an entire nation that honored their parents, an entire nation where there was never a theft, never a broken home, never a murder, ever. Would that nation rise above other nations? Would that nation have more to export than what they would need to import? That nation would be strong because it would not be destroying itself from the inside. I don't know if you've noticed in your life, but I know in my life, if I just didn't make mistakes, I'd be in a lot better shape. Just don't buy that dumb thing. I'd have more money, right? Just don't have said that dumb thing to my wife. I'd have a better marriage. If we just don't make mistakes, we get stronger and stronger. What would that nation have been like, the nation of Israel, if they were able to keep the Ten Commandments to every man, woman, and child? What would it have been like? They'd have never gotten conquered. They'd have been strong. But they slipped, and the curses came. Here's the thought experiment for the day. What would it look like If all the Christians, and us specifically, actually followed Christ completely, what would it be like? What would, what would church be like? What would your family be like? What would the nation be like? What would it be like if we actually put our feet on the rock, heeded the call, and did it? We followed the Ten Commandments and we brought it into the New Covenant. You know, the New Covenant, Jesus raised the bar. He did not lower the bar. The Old Covenant says, don't murder. The New Covenant says, don't murder and don't want to murder. Now, if you've been in that place where (laughs) you've got some feelings of breaking some commandments... Go ahead and physically don't break them. That's good. You know, don't just think, well, if you've broken one part of the community, you've broken the whole law, so I guess I might as well go ahead and take care of business. No, you know, it's good to not murder, even if you want to. But realize you're not in God's perfect will when you have that animosity in your heart. It's about getting to a place of, dare we say, loving your enemies. Letting the three-year-old win at checkers. Realizing that the reason your enemy is your enemy is because they do not understand God at all and they are going to face the consequences of that. 
So let's love them and help them and do what we can. What if we actually did it? Seems to me in today's Christian culture, we're obsessed with failing God. That's all we talk about. Is it a sin if I do this? I mean, how much can I fail God? I want to know where the line is. What's the worst I can do in being a Christian? I want to know where that line is because I want to get just this close to losing my salvation, but I still want to go to heaven. How much sense does that make? You know, trying to figure out how can we be bad at being Christians. It just seems like the culture, the Christian culture is obsessed with that. What can I get away with? How bad can I be at being a Christian? Let's not do that. Let's put our feet on the rock. If you're doing that, you're building your house on sand. It's not gonna, it's gonna fall with a great crash. That's Jesus' promise to you. If you build your house on sand, it falls with a great crash. I don't want to live that promise. So in the Old Testament, we had the Ten Commandments. Now in the New Testament, the Ten Commandments still apply, but they're fulfilled. Throw that up, Seth, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus didn't say, now, <clears throat> we're, getting, we're getting rid of the Ten Commandments. They're just, that was for a bygone era no longer applies to us. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear. Have heaven and earth disappeared? No. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I think that's pretty straightforward. Now, by fulfilling, we've already talked about that a little bit, it's taking the outward works and getting them in your heart. It's not just about refraining from killing someone you want to kill. It's about not having a murderous heart. It's not just about refraining from committing adultery. It's about having a heart that loves your wife and only your wife. It's about taking these outward rules and putting them in your heart. How about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? Let's throw Hebrews up there. You know what it says in Hebrews? We'll show you. Got a couple of verses. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The promise still stands. And to get more specific, it's a different Greek word for rest here than in verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4.9. Is that, the Greek word is Sabbath. Is that confusing? There remains then a Sabbath rest. Now, the thing that confuses people is all of a sudden they start thinking Sabbath and they go outward appearance. Boom. It's about the things you do. It's about your heart. It's about spending time with God. It's about, I, I believe it's about gathering with God's people 
But it's not about following a bunch of nitpicky Sabbath rules. It's about dwelling with God, spending time with God. He wants to spend time with you. So the Ten Commandments still apply, but they're fulfilled, and Jesus raises the bar. What else can we talk about? What has Jesus commanded us to do? What does the New Testament tell us to do other than the Ten Commandments? I'm going to whip through a whole bunch of stuff. All right? What if we built our house on the rock? Here we go. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first four commandments brought in here. Love God. The first and the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is love God. How many of you were thinking, okay, if I follow the rules real good, what's the most important rules to follow? Love God to the core of who you are. That's where it all begins. If you don't do that, nothing else makes any sense. That's why religion gets so goofy is because there's no God there and there's just a bunch of people trying to figure it out without God. Well, that's a disaster. Most important thing, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No other gods, no idols, don't use His name in vain, keep the Sabbath, believe in God, trust in God. Worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, God wants to be loved. He wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Don't worry, but have faith. No fear, walk by faith. God wants to be our God. And when we fear He takes that as us thinking He's not good at being God. Our fear is telling God, you can't handle this. You can't bring me through this. He takes it as an insult. We stand by faith. We trust in God. Bring tithes and offerings with a cheerful heart of faith part of loving God. Bear fruit for the kingdom, offering up your service to God. Develop your spiritual gifts. Pray without ceasing, getting to know the inner witness. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get to know, respect, and do the Word of God. Ask things of God according to His will. Did you know He wants us to ask? It's part of our relationship. It's part of loving God. Have you ever had your son or daughter ask you for something? When they're little, you're like, oh. (laughs) It's not as cute when they're 25. (laughs) Ask things of God. Grow deeper and deeper with God, persevering over time. 
Get the weeds out of your life and make it about God. When we're distracted away from God, is that loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, that's thinking the things of this world are more important. I'll deal with God later. And then Jesus says we're supposed to love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. We've covered that. But now there's this whole love other people thing. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. So, We'll continue on the whole honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't want what other people have, but also you have to forgive. This one is very, very strong. Throw that scripture up there, Seth. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. That's a deal breaker. I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's not complicated. You disqualify yourself for forgiveness if you don't forgive. Don't build your house on sand. Unforgiveness is sand. The crash is coming. Husbands have to love your wives. I don't know how people came to believe that Christianity means husbands get to be jerks to their wives. How did that happen? I do not understand that at all. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, be the spiritual head of the home. Don't judge, but edify. Lift people up. Work hard and don't be a burden to others. Take care of your family. Respect authority. The Bible says we're supposed to respect authority. In the government, in the church, at work, at home. Be humble and teachable. Pride has to go. Give to others that need your help. Pay off your debts. Bible's New Testament. Pay off your debts. Pray for people. Walk out your calling. Is there more I could say? Is there more to it for building your house on the rock? Would you rather have your house on the rock or have your house on sand? It's going to take some time to build that house, isn't it? It's going to take some time. It's not just this magical little cutesy thing. It's about spiritual growth, spiritual development, becoming a a man or woman of God and trusting in God that He will make His promises come to pass. I'm going to close. But understand, God's will is for you to be the head, not the tail. For you to be stronger. For you to have a secure position on the rock. Why does God give us commands? Because He likes us. And He wants it to work out well for us. He doesn't want us to self-destruct and to cause problems for ourselves. He wants us to be free from that. We're little kids compared to Him. doesn't matter how old you are. Compared to God, we're little kids. We don't see much. Sometimes, sometimes it's because God said so. And we have to go, yes, Lord, that's as much as I understand of this, but because you said so. 
So let's close. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. If you need personal prayer, well, of course you need personal prayer. There isn't anybody in here who doesn't. <laughs> if you're willing to come up for prayer, they're willing to pray. Well, let's close as a group, and then I'll invite people here to come down for prayer. Otherwise, you can go out and see uh, Omot and Hannah at their little little table there. Encourage somebody in the Lord. So let's let's pray. Father, we do thank you and we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that you have you have put a lamp under our path as to how to build the house on the rock, how to make ourselves the head and not the tail. You have shown us how to do that. But Lord, we've got to walk it out and it's a process. Help us to get stronger and stronger day by day. Help us to get into your word to know how to follow you. Help us to be able to have faith in you and trust that you will keep your promises. I pray, Lord, that you bless each one of us. Lord, and that you give us a vision for what would happen if we actually actually succeeded in following you. What would that mean for our families? What would that mean for our lives? What would that mean for our church, for our schools, for our community, for our nation, for the world? What would that mean? Help us to have faith in your promises. Bless us and encourage us, and may your peace be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.